You're listening to World Found, a podcast about belonging in an age of social isolation and disconnection. I'm your host, Tim Coons. This show is made possible by the Weld Community Foundation, who encourages us to spread the good. For more information, go to weldcommunityfoundation.org. Also there, you can donate to aid Weld County nonprofits who are serving those affected during this crisis. It's called the Weld Recovers Fund. It's a joint effort between the United Way of Weld County and the Foundation. You can donate to it at our website and at unitedway-weld.org slash COVID-19. Friends, we are in a time of great uncertainty. And let me say this, our nonprofits need our help. Please consider donating to this fund or directly to a nonprofit here in Weld that you know is doing great work. If you want more information or if you have questions, you can email me. Yes, I am giving out my email on a podcast, tim at weldcommunityfoundation.org. I'd welcome any questions regarding how to help the good work of nonprofits happening here locally. With that, let's start today's show. Uh, my name is Chrissy Fryrose. I am a 911 dispatcher for Weld County Communications. We dispatch for all of Weld County police, fire, and medical agencies. On today's show, we're talking about Squad One, which is a creative first responders effort right here in Weld County. But before we get rolling, let's begin at the beginning of first response, Weld's emergency call center. I had a meaningful conversation with Chrissy, who's a friend of mine, on what it's like to work as a 911 dispatch officer. We'll be hearing about her experience and role in first response, and then we'll listen to an interview with Jamie Clapp, a counselor on Squad One. Welcome, my friends, to today's Weld Found. Let's jump back in with Chrissy. Um, I get to work about a half an hour before the shift starts. Uh, we have a briefing, so they give us information on what's happened the last couple of shifts since I've been there, um, any major events, things that we're, we might need to know about so that we can communicate appropriately to the appropriate agencies based on what's happening. Uh, just over three years I've been doing it. Okay. And tell me why you love it. I remember when I was a child watching uh, Emergency 911 uh, that I think everybody watched at the time. And I remember thinking, that is so cool. I totally want to do that. And then it sort of fell out of my mind for many, many years. Um, and then I found myself in retail. Um, and although I really enjoyed my time in retail, it, I knew that I wasn't, I wasn't doing enough to help uh, people around me. Um, to sort of make an impact on the community. Um, and I felt like that was something I really needed to do. Um, and when I felt my time in retail was done, I decided to take the steps and start an app, the application process to be a dispatcher. Um, and when I did, I remember going through the process and finishing it. It was a long process to get there. And I, I remember walking the halls of dispatch and thinking, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And every day I go in there, I still feel like I'm in exactly the right spot, doing exactly the right thing. It, I get to impact people's lives every single day, um, and sometimes in super simple ways and other times in much larger ways. Um, so that, that makes me feel really uh, successful in a way that I have never felt before. Um, I grew up in New England, in New Hampshire, and I met my wife, Anne, in New Hampshire. And after we got married, we decided we wanted to move closer to her family, which was here in Greeley. Um, 
all I knew about Greeley was that it was a super conservative town and that um, I might not fit in here. Um, but we knew we wanted to have a family and we wanted to be closer to her family here. Um, so we moved here 12 years ago, maybe 13 years ago now. Our community, we belong to Atlas Church in Greeley and we've been going there for um, a little over 10 years, I think now. Um, and that was really where we found um, a community that I'd never experienced before. Um, I've always had great friends and I've always um, had communities in sort of my friends group, but it wasn't until Atlas that I discovered what it meant to be a part of a community. And that was super powerful to me uh, to be able to um, both give and receive in a way that was meaningful every day. We adopted our son since living here uh, four years ago, and he's graduating high school and hopefully going to be joining Job Corps after graduation. So we're really excited to see where that takes him. I think um, <laughs> how I can do it is because, number one, you have to. Um, so if you take on the the pressures and the feelings of every caller you have, there's no way you're going to be able to take the next call. Um, the, the people that are in that room are some of the most strong and powerful, like internally powerful people that I've ever met. Um, and knowing that we all are going after the same goal and we all have experienced the same feelings that the next person beside us, uh, beside us has experienced, um, makes everything so much easier. Um, my personality, I think, lends itself to this because I, I'm super joking. So, you know, every call, um, we, we try to, you know, make it lighthearted as much as we can. Um, I think the personalities of all the people in the room, by and large, is, is the same way. You know, we joke about how we, you know, accidentally air the wrong information over, over the radio or, um, you know, the way we communicate with somebody maybe was um, too lighthearted and then we laugh about it after. Um, but that it's stuff like that that is the only way we can get through it because it is so intense at times. Um, but, you know, it's not always intense. I think that when people think of 911, they think of the crazy calls, the, you know, crazy accidents where cars roll over and the shootings and the stabbings. And, of course, that stuff happens. But also we have a lot of dogs barking in Greeley and Weld County, <laughs> um, and that takes up a lot of our time. So it's not always, you know, crazy things happening. Well, I th and I do think that also lends itself to why I, I'm able to still be happy in a job where um, there is so much seriousness so often, is that I really am able to, um, you know, take that really intense call and uh, feel it and deal with it and uh, respond to it in, what, in the appropriate ways. But also, when my when shift change happens, I'm able to just leave it there um, and go home. I can honestly only think of a couple of calls that I've ever taken that I I needed to discuss or debrief after the fact. Um, those are things like officer-involved shootings. Um, those are super stressful, as you can guess, and scary for all of us. Um, Especially, I think, in some ways, because we're not there, we don't know a lot of information about what's happening. So we take on a lot of that stress of not knowing and still trying to help as best we can. 
um, and really any caller that, or any call that has to do with children typically are the most uh, stressful and difficult to handle for all of us. Um, but again, by and large, I'm able to just say, okay, well, I took that call and that was really hard and now I'm gonna move on to the next call. You know, PTSD is a, is a real thing that obviously our first responders are dealing with, um, but it's also something that dispatchers deal with every day. Um, and it's not, it's not necessarily something that the general population has any concept of how it is if you're not seeing this, that you would still have um, sort of issues with it. Um, but I do think that being able to joke about it, I'm sure is covering up um, intense feelings about how you're actually feeling about it or how your even your physical body is responding to what you've just been through. So listening to the things that we listen to absolutely has an impact and being able to um, joke about it really helps get through those things. I can remember a time when a um, mother and father had called and said that they had found their son um, unconscious and I talked to them through doing CPR with him. Um, and part of the hard thing about our job is that we don't necessarily get closure. We don't always hear what the outcome is. Um, so a lot of times, you know, so I talked him through CPR and the paramedics got there and took him to the hospital. So we knew that, we knew that he was still alive at the time the paramedics picked him up. Um, but you never really know um, what's gonna happen. A lot of times if you're, if you're super invested for different reasons, things that might come up that make you sort of feel invested, you might have your supervisor follow up with uh, the paramedics to say, hey, any outcome, how, you know, what, how was he doing when you left him at the hospital? Um, and they had said he was, he was doing well still. Um, and it so happened that one of my coworkers he was friends with and I was able to find out that he had, he had survived um, after I had done CPR. So that to me was super powerful and um, that's obviously the goal, right? Is that we get to talk to them first and hopefully give them life-saving measures so that by the time we hold them until the paramedics can get to them and, and help them even more. Thank you, Chrissy. And thanks to the 911 dispatch of Weld County. We appreciate all you are doing to serve our community. Friends, have you ever heard of Squad One? Before this year, I hadn't. Squad One is the nickname of this incredible, creative first responders effort right here in Weld County. The program's been going for a few years now, and it's the result of several agencies working together. It's a small team, usually a firefighter, a licensed counselor, and a caseworker. And when there are 911 calls that involve mental health issues or drug use, drug abuse issues, Squad One arrives, often alongside police or EMTs, and they come in this older ambulance, which has the phrase Squad One painted on the side, hence the nickname. They arrive to offer help and expert assistance. Now, think about how wise and wonderful and awesome this is. Our firefighters, and police and EMTs are already asked to handle so much. They're trained for fire and law enforcement and medical emergencies primarily. And yet how much of 911's call volume deal with issues of mental health or drug use, drug abuse? Squad One gets a trained counselor to the scene and a caseworker from Northern Colorado Health Alliance to connect people with real care. 
This program is incredible. It frees up first responder agencies to do what they're best trained to do, and it frees up 911 channels to handle the volume they need to handle. I've been working on this episode featuring Squad One since before COVID-19 because Squad One gets people out of their silos. It takes some weight off of agencies. It creatively addresses problems, all while building a better community. We're hearing now from Jamie Clapp, a counselor working with Squad One. We'll hear what her role is, why she does what she does, and how she keeps doing it. Um, my name is Jamie Clapp, and I'm a licensed professional counselor um, through North Range Behavioral Health. Mm-hmm. And my role in the squad is uh, basically crisis assessment, and, and that's what I do. So um, I actually work Monday through Thursday. With, um, the paramedic and I both work 10-hour shifts Monday through Thursday. Um, basically what it looks like is he screens 911 calls, and if an individual is suicidal or homicidal or um, there may be a diversion um, from going to an emergency department, then we respond to that call as well. And my role in the situation is to assess the safety and for the individual and then to divert accordingly. So I can sign mental health holds. I can uh, assist with the project or process of establishing emergency commitments as well. It's a better utilization of the resources that we have available, basically. I mean, it's like if this is a mental health call and we know it is, then let's free up the fire crews so that they can be available to respond to that cardiac arrest. Yes. Okay, so so squad one primarily responds to mental health calls. Mental health and substance abuse, substance use or substance abuse calls. Right. Um, so we may get uh, a dispatch that says an intoxicated individual, and then we would we would go that. Mental health is a public health concern. It's one out of every four people. So we need to collaborate together um, as a community, all of these different agencies to figure out how do we help an individual who's suffering this way? Because it's a lifelong, you know, it's going to be, for most of them, it's a lifelong process. Mental health is, uh, man, there are so many aspects of where it comes from, but Um, In terms of how people deal with mental health, it's very trauma-driven. I would say that um, probably, I would say 80, I would say 90% of the people that I've dealt with, there's trauma-related. Something bad happens that somebody doesn't have any control over and it has derailed them in some way. Um, And so because of that, there's, it's hard to find your footing again, and you just don't know what to do and where to go or how to get the help that you need. And then there's all the stigma attached to mental health, and um, it just makes it hard to find the right. Uh, where do I go for help? Well, I'm going to call 911 because I'm in crisis, and that that's great. That's a that's a great place to start, but that's not going to help you along the process of dealing with that trauma. So. Um, that's kind of where I come in as a mental health expert and what I do is just, okay, let's look at this. This is difficult. It may take us more than 20 minutes on scene, but if it means diverting from an ED and get from an emergency department and then getting that person connected, 
to the right uh, spot so that they can regain their health, then, then that's what we'll spend. We'll spend an hour if we need to. Um, just assessing very quickly, um, uh, is this person going to be safe, first of all? Um, if you're not, then we need to get you somewhere where you're going to be safe. And uh, I want your participation in that process. I want you to be involved all the way so that you don't feel like I'm forcing you into something you don't want to do, although I can if I have to. <laughs> and um, that's kind of, yeah, that's what we do all the time. Well, realistically, uh, mental health behaviors are a little disconcerting when you first see them, and they're scary to look at. Um, I think that's why most people shy away from that person who's on the street who may be yelling loudly to themselves or gesturing wildly, anything like that. I'm sure people, yeah, it's concerning when you see that because it's out of the context of normal behavior. On the other hand, that individual is probably just as scared as I am looking at it. And so that's the, that is the greatest connective piece with people who deal with mental health. We can always connect on the emotional level. I understand fear. I know what that feels like. And so that's where we connect. Uh, I may not understand anything that they're saying or why they're doing the, what they're doing, but I will know what fear is. And that's the very basic level of connection with anyone is emotion. And it's like, okay, what can I do to help you feel safer? And I would be afraid too if I saw that coming at me, or I would be worried too that somebody was gonna hurt me or harm me if that's what I was seeing all the time. And, and that's the piece that's connecting. Um, and I think, I think that's what happens a lot of times with mental health is that, and, and substance use, honestly, is that we get far away from the human aspect of this is an individual and a human being who's hurting at some level. I may not identify with that space of brokenness, but that's where they're hurting and that's where they need help. So it's not going to fix on its own because if they have the tools and the ability to fix it, they already would have, and they, they would have done what they needed to do to get to move past it. So that means somebody needs to intervene and provide help and guidance. And that's really how I see my role most of the time is, is a guide. I'm gonna hold up some signs for you. You don't have to follow them if you don't want, but I do have some, some ways that you can go and options, always providing hope and options. That's really my perspective and where I come from. Even in the worst situations, it's, there's always options. And it's like, I'll show you the way out, but you're gonna have to go. <laughs> you're gonna have to walk on your own. I can't carry you out of this. And, um, and I think that's essentially what we do in crisis points is just provide the signs and show the light on different things and establish hope somewhere. Well, in terms of mental health in general, there's, there's, there is a predisposition genetically for some of our like major depressive disorders, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder. Um, and I like to kind of equate it to a heart murmur. It's like being born with a heart murmur and not realizing it until you run a race and then you have a heart attack. And then it's like, oh, there's something wrong there. Uh, that's pretty much the way that major illness happens. And the reason why I bring that up is because a traumatic event can trigger a first episode. And that could be anything because trauma is definitely uh, according to the individual. 
So it's anything that I'm not prepared for that happened in my life that I had no construct for understanding or I had no preparation for it. It could be the death of a loved one. It could be abandonment. It could be, um, you know, it can be sexual abuse. It can be uh, physical abuse and, and drug use um, can do that as well. So substance use. So any of those things can trigger those first episodes. And I think it's important to understand that I, I honestly don't know of anybody who's experiencing any major mental health concern who hasn't had uh, trauma at some point in their life. I, at least in my experience, I've never met anybody like that. Um, there's always a piece of the trauma that's there. And um, I, I think really, I always tell people that I work with you know, it's not really the trauma that's the concern. Yes, it's bad, but it's the messages that you get from the trauma about you. Usually it boils down to they, people question their worth. I have no value. There's no point for me being here. Or people don't truly, nobody truly loves me for who I am. Um, it's always based on something. I have to perform or I have to do something in order to get what I need from people. And that's a really hard burden for people to carry if and and if it's a core belief of what they what they you know operate out of for their entire existence that's very very damaging two very very damaging concepts so it's not such a far reach to go from there to maybe I'm better off dead which is what typically happens with people if they don't get intervention or some sort of treatment or they don't end up in an environment where those truths are done away with, those lies are done away with, and then the truth is that you are loved just for who you are, and that your life does have value, meaning, and worth. Just none of us know fully what that's going to look like. I still don't. So, you know, those pieces of things are the hope that, that man, it's not as difficult as you think. You can't erase trauma, but you can change your how you believe about yourself and what you think. For me, I don't look for the huge, I try not to spend so much of my perspective on what health should look like because it's the baby steps that matter the most. And for some people, you know, I've had a few examples of people who, who believe that they are worth fighting for and, and start to take hold of that truth of I'm valuable and I have, I have value. Um, and that's huge for me. And I have several individuals like that. We do have individuals who... Um, were on the streets homeless and now have jobs living in their own apartments and taking care of their lives and that's always wonderful to see and I have two examples of that. I think um, it's very rare that somebody will approach me and come up to me later and say thank you so much. Um, I'm not really the liked person on scene. <laughs> Most people don't want to see the therapist. They're like, I get why the paramedic is here and I can see a place for case management, but I'm not crazy, why are you, why are you here? So I get that a lot. Um, but sometimes I've, I had one individual approach me and, and just come up and give me a hug and say, thank you so much. I feel so much better um, because um, you helped me get back engaged to outpatient services, and and that's huge. That's always wonderful when I see it. Um, I I don't like I said I don't really look for the big huge finishes for people. I kind of feel like we're on the front lines and we're the last step before they die a lot of times. And 
I think just the, even the little baby steps are huge <laughs> for me. How do you step into crisis and, and not have that be something that you carry as your own weight? Right. Uh, or take home with you? Um, what are, you know, as, as somebody who is um, doing incredible work on that front, how do you not get burned out? Um, I think for me, this, well, I know this is definitely a calling and um, how much of, you, of this you want to share, I'll leave it up to you. But um, there, my, my sister deals with bipolar 2 disorder. She's been very regulated for several years, but I was her primary person in her life for like 10 years and it was very, very unstable. And we'd made it through those uh, rocky parts together. And then um, I was reading in Isaiah, because I am a believer, and I am definitely a woman of faith. And um, there is that phrase where God asks Isaiah, who will go? And I said, I will. I'll go. And um, the, the message that I got from the Lord was, um, this is probably... Uh, one of the last fronts that needs to be fought because nobody wants to go there and nobody wants to deal with those people in quotes and and um, I do because I love them and so that's why I chose to do that so for me that's where part of it comes from is it's definitely a calling so I always have the strength I always know I have the strength and grace that I need to be able to do what I need to do every day I think a major like 90% of the reason why I'm able to do what I do. I have a great team. I really do. I don't count on knowing everything when I walk into a situation. And I, I rely heavily on uh, Darren's perspective and Meredith and Lacey and John and Nick and seeing what they see in a situation. And likewise, Jeff and Gail and, and Kirsten and all these p people who just have who I rely on as um, they have a lot more insight into a lot of the situations than I do because they have more authority or they have a little different perspective. Helps me create what I need to um, in terms of responding. So that's a lot of how I deal with it. Um, I'm, I play the piano a lot. I have, so I have a lot of, and I write a lot and um, I love massages. And so I'm very, it's hard for me to deal with self-care because um, I, 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 I don't like the term self, but I understand that there's a component of care that needs to happen in order to maintain longevity. So I think it, that's pretty much it for me. I do, I am a very much a team player. I realize that this is, I cannot do any of this on my own. And um, I, the police officers, the firefighters, everybody, amazing people that do what they do. Um, you said you play a lot of piano? Yes, I do. Do you ever make up songs? All the time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Could I come record you playing piano? Sure. Absolutely. I think that might be really sweet to have. After this great playing. interview with Jamie, I then recorded her playing piano. This was several months ago in February. And the experience of sitting and listening it was so relaxing and centering for me. This is a part of her self-care, how she allows herself to be rejuvenated and refreshed. I featured her playing as the outro on our episode COVID-19 and Weld County a few months back, and I'm going to end this episode in the same way again. We're going to listen in on Jamie playing for a while, 
Like, I'm going to let this play out for the next 20 minutes. Do you need a moment to take a breath? Are you feeling worn out from navigating such huge national concerns this summer? As we're weathering all the new normals that seem to be changing weekly, how are you making sure that you're staying centered? Imagine yourself somewhere comfortable, maybe a favorite place in your imagination, and allow this time to be a calming and restorative time, to feel like you're being put back together again, poured into. Thanks for listening to Weld Found today. And thank you to Chrissy and Jamie and for our first responders in Weld County for the community work of Squad One. Special thanks to Dave Farrell, a professor at Ames Community College for the sound engineering help. And lastly, thank you to the Weld Community Foundation who challenges us to spread the good. For more information, visit weldcommunityfoundation.org. Stay safe, friends. Here's Jamie Clapp playing some improv piano for us for our own centering. (laughs) 